Hello, listener. This episode is a more traditional question and answer podcast style. I did my best to edit this one to make up for my intermittent sound loss from my microphone. You may still notice a few weird spots where the sound cuts or is a bit off. I apologize for the less than smooth experience. I will be doing everything I can to make sure that this is not a problem in my sixth episode and beyond. Let's get started. You're going to try to convince me to save the world. Some of our ideas are a bit ambitious. I know how hard this is for you to hear. Government should be afraid of their people. You've got the makings of greatness in you. What we do in life echoes in eternity. If you could see your whole life from start to finish. We would be given a choice to betray our chosen destinies. I have to believe in a world outside my own mind. An idea that is fully formed, fully understood, that sticks. Love is the one thing that transcends dimensions of time and space. Are you watching closely? Welcome, my beautiful, wonderful listener, to the Talking About Talking podcast. We're going to be talking about everything and everything, everything and anything, and talking about talking about those things. Uh, today, I am joined by Wes Thompson, who for 20 years, one of the leading agricultural businesses in Chatham-Kent, Thompson's Limited, and he is on the board of directors for the United Way Chatham-Kent. Thank you for joining me, Wes. I'm glad to be here, Trev. Awesome. Uh, it's my understanding, not just an understanding I have seen, uh, you are an avid collector of things that aren't usually collected. So those things being fire trucks and <laughs> another, I, I believe I was told cutaway machinery or cutaway. Yeah. Can, can well, you elaborate yeah. on that a bit? Well, it, or is there more to it? Sorry. Oh, well, it's yeah. The fire trucks. Yeah. We found out you can't pump water without drinking beer, Trev. <laughs> so we like that. <clears throat> we, uh, I like cutaway engines and the cutaways, it's kind of a subset of that thing that, where they take an engine, they cut it away so you can see what's working inside of it. Okay. And uh, it's kind of fun. Engines are really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And all of it is just the product of a short attention span. So you say engines are really interesting to you. How do you feel about the up-and-coming uh, electric vehicle phase? Oh, it's very exciting to me. I think that uh, it's there's no turning back now. I think it's um, it's going to converge with a number of things, not just electrical vehicles, but the fact that it's likely none of us will own cars in the future. We'll have an app, uh, uh, a ride-sharing app. We'll be probably pull it up and say, "I want to I want to go into downtown Blenheim in 20 minutes." And you'll go get dressed and come out and this self-driving vehicle will be sitting out in your laneway. Hmm. And it'll be much cheaper than owning a vehicle. So I think, I expect the next less than 10 years that we're, it'll be a completely different model. All this, all these old vehicles that I like so much are kind of going the way of the horse. And I'll have, if I'm fortunate enough, I'll have a membership at a club. I'll take my fire truck to it and I'll buy two liters of gasoline and I'll drive around a track for the afternoon. <laughs> that, that was my follow-up question with this world of people collecting these vehicles that are internal combustion engines. What happens to that? How do we transition through that? And so I, I guess that can kind of 
bring us to, in your opinion, if we were to make this giant shift with COVID happening, we saw a huge shift with companies, right? Like uh, vehicle companies making ventilators and <laughs> then people who make equipment for hockey power started making medical visors, right? Like people made massive shifts. And I'm wondering how does that happen for people to make or for society to make a shift to what you were just saying well, it's usually when you see those, and I think of the macroeconomic terms where uh, um, it's usually an event like a pandemic, and I don't believe it made any kind of shifts at all. What I think it did was just accelerate what was going to happen anyway. Right. Uh, the one that we all know was online shopping. It was coming. It just, this accelerated it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there's a lot of examples I think you could use. Um, so these things are going to happen. What will speed them up is some, some world event that will make them come just a little bit faster. But I don't think there's any turning back now. I think it's coming. I think of um, when we think of sailboats, we think of recreational sailboating. But there was a time when sailboats were the uh, commercial transport of the day. They, um, and, you know, internal combustion engines changed all of that or external as in steam engines and uh, and that all shifted. And so when you wonder about all these antique cars that I like so much, um, they'll shift, cars will become um, a recreational thing and not a, a necessity that we have now. Right, just a nostalgic collector's thing. Yeah, as if you were on a Saturday morning, you'd go out and try it. You'd go out and ride a horse. In the future, will Saturday morning, well, I think I'm going to set some time aside. I'm going to go driving. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I can totally see that happening at some point. Yeah. So with Thompson's Limited was, I think, I believe founded in 1924. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was all over the Chatham-Kent area. You, you had 12 elevators, 11 retail farm centers, two seed process plants, and a wheat processor. It was 275 employees at the time that you had sold it to Anderson's, I believe? Yeah, it was a joint venture between Anderson's and um, Lansing Grain, which have now merged. So it's today it's purely Anderson's out of Ohio, yeah. Okay, so what... What are the factors that led to that? You were quoted saying the family decided some time ago that moving ahead, the fourth generation probably wasn't the best decision. What, what leads up to making that decision? Well, Trevor, when you, when you have a family business like that, your whole nut is tied up in that one venture. Mm -hmm. And like, it's not like we were, we had a thousand little businesses. We had one business that we were trying to keep going. And um, what really brought it to a point was the realization that we either had to get very big very quickly to be relevant in the industry um, or get out. And um, the family was at a stage where a lot of us were in our 50s and we knew that getting big in a hurry meant that we would be saddled with this business, uh, successful or not, for the rest of our lives. It wasn't, it, that's just the way it goes. You go out and spend a bunch of money making acquisitions. You spend the rest of your life paying it off. Kind of tying yourself to it. <clears throat> tying ourselves down. So we had to 
we had a moment where we had to look in the mirror and decide what did we want to do? What was the best thing for wealth preservation for our family and the next generation? Was it to saddle them with a business that probably was not big enough to be relevant in the long run? Uh, or one that may have been relevant enough, but would have been uh, poor for the rest of in the foreseeable future. So, um, yeah, it was a whole bunch of things that came together there. Um, in retrospect now, it was the timing was fortunate. Uh, we didn't know that at the time. It was a big gamble for us, um, but it, it worked out okay. Um, and sorry to interrupt. Why, why do you say the timing was fortunate in hindsight? Well, agriculture has its ups and downs. It's a very cyclical industry. And shortly after we exited, it went through some tough times. So, I mean, we would have survived that, but um, we had we decided to do such a drastic thing a year later, it would have been a completely different outcome. Right. So, I see. Uh, what, what kind of conversations lead up to that? Well, I had... Um, we had nine shareholders, Okay. Seven, seven in my generation. So I wasn't the owner. I was just one of a number of shareholders. And I think it's fair to say that when you, you're totally committed to one venture, it's a pretty good idea to be constantly reassessing what you're capable of. Um, are you, can you ride this thing to glory or will you ride it into a ditch? It, it, and you never know, but um, we didn't have any other business to fall back on. So this was right. the one, I think it was healthy that we, it was an ongoing thing that we kept uh, measuring, reassessing, looking in the mirror, um, trying to imagine what the future might hold. Okay. So this concept of selling and getting out was something that was discussed fairly regularly. Um, my whole life, it was... It wasn't the goal, but it was something that had to be measured from time to time. Um, it was just, it was a pretty fine margin business. We weren't raking in oodles of cash on this thing. It's uh, pretty fine. So, so when, when the triggers pulled, was it, was it one of those kind of meetings where one person said, you know, I think we should really do this. Was it a little more bumpy than that? I don't, um, no, I think it was, uh, we had already had one shareholder leave, decided that they wanted to do something else with their career, which was fine. Uh, we found a way to make that possible. Um, well, I don't remember there was, there wasn't any scrapping or anything. It was just an honest conversation. I think we all, we talked about it. We all went back to our, uh, our homes and sat down and stared out the window for a while. And then we got back together and had another conversation. So I don't remember there was a lot of drama other than you get, um, it's a bigger part of your life than you might imagine. It becomes, mm -hmm. uh, uh, when you have a family business, it's a part, really big part of your identity. <clears throat> so what has happened since the selling of Thompson's? If we, we flash back to 2014, what was the biggest difference you noticed in your life? The biggest shift, the biggest change? Um, I can remember the moment, Trevor, personally, for me, I, I went from being a real big shot, somebody to being a nobody. <laughs> and I remember the moment it happened. I think that the night before we made the announcement, made it public, we had a, a dinner with the incoming 
company that was buying it and our senior executives. And the minute I made the introductions, all the people who were staying with the company went over to the new ownership team and started making making their points yeah. right away. And I was standing in the corner with my mouth open. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I went from hero to zero. Real quick. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is a family generational business. Your grandfather started it, right? Yeah. And then yeah. passed it on to your father when he was 24. Mm -hmm, I think so. How old were you when you got it? And to further that, what is that like? Because there's not many people that grow up into a business, right? Not many people grow up and are around a family business and are expected to take it on. And like, how does that experience go from childhood? Oh, well, that's a heavy question. Um, let's see, how does that go? Well, I, I, I do know that my, when my father and uncle became involved in the business, running the business, it was because their father had, had, uh, had been ill wasn't able to do it any longer they if the they didn't have a lot of choice they had to take over okay that makes sense because i wondered 24 seemed like a little young for him to just pass that on right yeah oh i think uh i think my father if he were alive would readily admit he wasn't prepared for that um but he he came through pretty well in my situation i think my father and my uncle had died and my father was just worn out. He, he was just, he'd had enough. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, young and full of beans and naive enough to think that I knew how to do it. And I, that my skill set or lack thereof quickly became obvious. Okay. Fortunately, I was, uh, we had a great team of uh, executives around me who, who um, they wiped you my nose. They help walk me through it. Yeah. So, yeah. You said anyone can put up bricks and mortar, but if you can assemble a good team who have their hearts in the right place, that's pretty important. I love that quote, first of all. But if there is someone out there that was looking to assemble a good team, what advice would you give them in that process? Oh, boy. That's a big question. Um, I think if you go with people who who trust you and, and you trust because you can't, nobody's smart enough to run a business on their own. Um, and it helps if the community wants you to be successful because you won't be successful unless the community is hoping that you are. Um, I, I'm often surprised by successful business people who pat themselves on the back and they think they, they're really clever. They've done it all by themselves. He does it by themselves no. um, and they, they may come up with a brilliant idea, um, but it's uh, there's a, all those people behind you that make it work, not the guy at the top. What kind of actions could a business or a team put in place to make sure the community wants them to succeed? I'm not sure. I, I think you have to care about your community and, and, and show that. I think you have to be... Um, um, you have to kind of root for your home team, your hometown, and whatever that may be, whether that's Mitchell, Ontario, or Coatsworth, Ontario. <clears throat> you, want, you want those towns. It's a mutual thing. You want those towns to be successful, too. Um, having said that, 
that all gets tempered by the fact that you have to make money. Mm-hmm. All of that is really good and all plausible when you're making money. When you're losing money, that's all magnanimous and 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 uh, share with everybody. Yeah. You got to sometimes you have to do hard things that are um, that aren't pleasant. Communication is so complex and the thought the human thought itself is like the most complex thing and we're more or less trading them with grunts and gestures and (laughs) which is hilarious at how complicated they are right and until we develop a technology that is telepathy we're pretty much screwed and we got this to work with right and so that is kind of the foundation of what i'm trying to work towards with all of this and i find that sharing concepts like the one i just shared with you right now Mm -hmm. that i just said communication's hard developing that awareness between you and i in this conversation i find that extremely beneficial i have found that extremely beneficial in my lifetime and in my relationships to have those conversations because then it opens up the possible dialogue for later on in the relationship when a misunderstanding or something complicated comes up and you can refer back to the original conversation saying, no, 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 sorry. And you can just simply say, what's in my head is not what I'm saying or what I'm trying to say, or my thought is more complicated than my actual words. And I'm trying really hard and I'm sorry, but I don't think I'm expressing it right. Or I don't think, right. Do you understand what I mean? I do because every interaction you have with somebody creates a filter. The next time I talk to you, I will filter my thoughts through my previous experience with you. I'm, I'm, I'm less likely to be critical or hard on somebody who I know. Um, and uh, yeah, relationships, uh, uh, engagement. Yes. Yeah, it makes a difference, doesn't it? There's this kind of overarching thing with the human experience that is relationships being the most important thing, period. Your most important thing in life, above all else, is your relationships with the people that matter most to you, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just complicated and difficult due to the human condition to keep that in the forefront of your mind at all times. And I agree with everything you said. To make it more complicated, what if I'm feeling kind of pissy today? What if I'm mad at something? Yeah. You don't know that. Or, um, and you don't know, you have no idea what, what I spent my morning doing that might make me cranky or impatient or whatever that might be. And you might read that completely differently. I'll, I'll certainly won't spend any time talking to you. I just want the answer. Now I want to get on to the next thing. Yeah. Thought like goes on too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And in, there's so many socials, you, you mentioned filters and I love that point that each time you have an interaction with someone you're adding a filter that's such a good way of explaining it. i talk about there being a gap between all people so it's kind of that same idea that you're adding something to the relationship each time you interact with them Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be conversation you could watch a movie with someone and just experiencing that together is kind of filling that gap right i'm always um appreciative when someone's honest with me about an awkward situation it's very revealing that and i'm always flattered that they're 
open with me and not defensive. I'm always uh, flattered that um, to find out that they're not as perfect as, as, as they want me to believe. I think it's when you let your guard down, when I learn a lot about someone. Um, and I try to respect that because that's a very uncomfortable place to be mm -hmm. to say, Hey, I've made a mistake. Uh, I haven't figured out what I was thinking at the time. I'm really sorry. Or, um, I don't know where you were coming from and that, yeah. cause that goes, that's, isn't that the extra, extra mile you're looking for in an, in engagement, in a relationship you're, you're trying just a little, so basically you're explaining that uh, when someone else lets their guard down, that's that kind of. Well, and it's, I, and I, cause we don't all do it with everybody. No. We, we pick and choose people that we trust. Um, and. Or um, thought less of and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's a delicate moment when, when you're really honest with somebody. There's this, uh, ethical question, this uh, ethical decision that people need to make when it comes to trust. And people will live one of two ways where they either, and whether or not people are consciously deciding this, that everyone has one or the other, which is that you trust everyone until they give you a reason not to, or you trust no one until they give you a reason to trust them. How would you say you fall on that scale and why? Oh, I think I'm, I'm more comfortable over trusting people. I think it's, that's uh, just where I'm at. I'm, and whichever of those uh, uh, tools you use, you're going to be disappointed from time to time. Right. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm more comfortable trusting than I am being uh, cynical and that, that, some of that comes with old age too. I think I've, I've got all the scars to prove it. And um, I'm not afraid of misjudging someone or making a mistake. And uh, We all do it. So basically to kind of summarize your last point there that you've just experienced so many moments where someone has, done you wrong or taken advantage of you or something. And so it, you've kind of learned how to cope with all those situations and yeah, or, or I came out of the blocks, uh, not regarding someone high enough and found out later that I should have respected them more. Right. Shouldn't have been so cynical. Um, it's, you know, Trevor, it's all those things. When you're talking to somebody, you're talking to a million life experiences, and, and no two people have the same experience. Absolutely. And to quickly judge somebody is um, you're doing your own self a disservice. Mm -hmm. the, uh, most people have good in them. And uh, sometimes you got to dig a little deeper. Yeah. But most people uh, have lots of good in them. So on that note, you, you're saying that like everyone has this massive collection of lifetimes in them right? Each person. Yes. I love that. That's such a cool perspective. Uh, it's this idea. A lot of my concepts are founded on this idea. When I was in college, 
and I was in Toronto and I would get on a bus and we're all going to wherever when really it's just a bunch of humans sitting in a very small room with zero to do. And you got a clock that's ticking until you can leave the room, right? (laughs) And you all have something in common. You're all on a bus. You all take the bus. You all live in the same city, right? Like you all have something in common and nobody talks to anyone. Nobody has a conversation. I mean, this might be different in other towns, but Toronto, certainly they do not give a crap, right? Yeah. And to play into your, that every person has lived thousands of lifetimes it has always baffled me that you don't walk onto a bus and just see chatter, just see conversations everywhere, right? Yeah. Because wouldn't that just make so much more sense? Wouldn't be fun. Wouldn't you learn so much? Right, exactly. And then where do you feel like you stand on why people don't talk to other people and the whole I don't want people's problems or they don't want mine or whatever? What's your kind of opinion on that topic yeah it's not in my mind it's not that straightforward uh some people we all approach problems and challenges and there are days from different perspectives Um, some people are more dramatic than others some people are more um uh surgical about their uh the world they operate in and it's so even though someone may have something interesting to share with you, it's that initial, how they start out talking about it. You know, it's, it can be great drama, which I always find a little tedious, or it can be someone who speaks in the strictest terms of numbers and objectivity and all this stuff. I also find that a little tough sometimes. Yeah. So there's all that. I think you become vulnerable when you open up to somebody that you don't have a relationship with. For sure. Um, You open yourself up to things that are uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So then on that concept of being uncomfortable in, in just kind of like motivation or self-improvement categories of life, you'll always hear that you need to grow, you need to move forward, you need to become a better person, try and be 1% better than yesterday, be better every day, whatever, people trying to improve themselves, which I support the hell out of. And I have dove into many different categories. You're talking about being vulnerable and improving or growing. People say growing and being better. Those are all positive things, right? Like when you say it like that, when when I say grow, in your mind, you might see like a little seed that turns into a plant and flowers. But if we want to be real about it, anything that makes you a better person sucks. Anything that makes you a better version of yourself hurts. You could probably throw that in that category that you were talking about being vulnerable, just allowing yourself to be vulnerable, to have conversation with someone you don't know. And that could be a route to growing and becoming a better person well you know and you're doing it right now uh one way to start is ask someone else all about themselves we love to talk about ourselves it's good it makes us feel good for sure (laughs) so back to your collection of things do you do you ever first of all just quickly do you ever go to like garage sales do you ever do anything like that yeah it's Usually my weak link are auction sales. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's my downfall. <laughs> okay. But, um, 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't like garage sales as much. I don't know why it's lots of interesting things there. Yeah. I, I don't. When you're the reason why I'm what I'm leading, basically what I'm leading up to is that I wondering what that's like when you're purchasing a freaking fire truck. <laughs> well, Sometimes I barter harder than other times. It's depending your perception of value. Mine is obviously skewed, but um, it's you know it's gosh that's that's all about that's economics that's perception of value and time and everything else. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm that good at it, by the way. Oh, okay. So you might you might be getting ripped off on all these fire trucks and you have oh, no idea. Do you want it alphabetically or numerically? Oh god. How many fire trucks do you own? Oh, I'm probably down to a dozen or so right now. Down to how many did you own when you owned oh, the most? I don't it doesn't matter. <clears throat> In recent years I've kind of shifted over to uh, antique cars. Okay. Yeah. So how many antique cars do you have? I'm a, I'm, I'm not going to tell you because my wife might hear about it. And then oh, I'd be okay. In trouble. No, you're right. That's a good point. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, through all of this, this has been your favorite failure. Oh, boy. There's well, I've had I've got plenty to choose from. Um. I, I suppose it's, they are the ones that I revisit more most often are ones that I can learn from because mm-hmm. um, then it's not a every failure is an opportunity to learn. Um, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I've done some beauties. Um, uh, if it's strictly a if it's a business decision, what stands between me and the best decision is you usually emotion. Okay. There's, Something I need to uh, win, uh, and I'll just reach a little further than I should. Really, like bright guys don't do that. Uh, and I'm, and sometimes Trevor, when I'm doing it, I know I'm doing it. Or uh, euphoria. I really want to hire oh, that okay. person, and and I'm emotionally invested in hiring that person. And maybe it's not as good a fit as it should be. Right. Or I just have to have. Uh, that one, that one butter churn. I'm really, and I know I'm paying too much for it. I don't know. I, I wouldn't say I've made a lot of, I've made every mistake in the book, put it that way. And when I get to the end of the book, I'll just start at the beginning and start making them again. So, (laughs) so only learning from them temporarily until you can recycle them later. Yeah. So personally, I have been trying to, in my own speech, replace certain words. So I, I, when talking to someone and we're discussing a topic and kind of building it, like you and I were there briefly about um, relationships and stuff like that. When I get a point back from someone, I used to say yes, but quite a lot. And I'm still trying to work on it because in my mind, I would be acknowledging what they're saying, and my but was to try and move the conversation in a different direction, right? So they're, I'm heading in a certain direction, and then they would something say something to add to the conversation, which would detour where I wanted to go, 
and what they're saying wasn't false, but it's not the direction I wanted to go in. So I would say, yes, but to try and bring it back. The problem with that is that I am negating what they're saying. I'm saying yes, but when I say but, I'm saying no. I'm saying yes, but. Well, that's very clever of you. And what they're hearing is, um, uh, I don't accept your point of view. Yes, exactly. And uh, and it would be simpler if you just said that. I'm having trouble understanding you. Fill that out a little more yes. for me. And so I've been trying to adjust my speech so that I say yes and, because that's inclusive and it lets them feel acknowledged, right? Is there any sort of phrase or word or any type of communication that you have adjusted in your life that you can think of that you found useful? Well, well, I'm sure there are. I, uh, I think if you, um, there, you can be critical of someone's behavior, but don't be critical of them. Okay. Um, you can say, listen, I'm having a little trouble with this because of this and this, this. I know you're smarter than this, or I think this is what I'm hearing, but um, that's where we get defensive. When you, when you attack me personally, um, then I react irrationally. Right. If you say, Wes, you know, I'm not sure. Um, I agree with you. I think you're smarter than that. I think you can do it. Then now you haven't lost them. They're still listening because you've told them they're smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you get it. You just you try not to put them off on a, uh, put them back on their heels. Um, I know I prefer not to be uh, put back on my heels because I take it personally. I've, uh, I wouldn't say I'm perfect at that, Trevor. Don't ever think I am. Okay. But I think I know what you're saying. There's, there are ways to communicate with people where you learn a lot more than if you just uh, tell them they're wrong. Yeah. So it, it sounds like with what you're saying, you're giving the example of kind of giving someone feedback or critiquing them to help them do their work better. You're talking about kind of leading into the conversation with compliments, which is in psychology heavily uh it encouraged to start with yeah, we, uh, Trevor, we call that a, a tootsie pop which is a sweet candy on a sharp stick oh okay <laughs> sweet candy on a sharp stick i like that i mean i i kind of prefer they talk about the compliment sandwich i don't know if i want the sharp yeah. stick but <laughs> so like giving a compliment critiquing and then following up with a compliment you're but not only that, you're pointing out the significance of the critique portion of the compliment sandwich should be directed or the wording should be directed at their behavior and not their character. And then you could probably further that with your point by saying that the compliment ends of the sandwich should be at their character and not their behavior. Ah, very clever. Yeah, right? you're right. I think you're onto something there. Problem is, in the heat of the moment, have the... I don't have the presence of mind to do that well always. Right. So, And I think that that is one of the, I think you just said probably one of the most significant things that we have said so far is that. And now I'm waiting for the sharp stick. <laughs> right. Buckle up. Um, <laughs> that you <laughs> don't always have the presence of mind. Neither do I. 
Nobody does, but you can train that, right? You can develop that with effort. It's not easy. It's really hard and it takes a lot of effort. And I just think that that's probably one of the largest issues with society is that if you talk to people about these things that we're discussing right now, everyone goes, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Relationships are important. Yeah. You shouldn't, you shouldn't say stuff that is mean and hurtful. Like, yeah, obviously, but they don't apply those things to their life, right? Everyone has the information. They're just not always using it. Right. Yeah. You know, I think you're right on. I, um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Practice, practice, practice. Yeah. I'm going to share a contact with you that you could do a podcast with a very interesting guy I met on Saturday. Oh. Um, he, uh, I won't go into it all now, but he's, yeah, okay. he's exploring. He's very well educated. He's an immigrant to Canada and he had a, if he wanted, could have a very bright future in the sciences. But he's just recently decided he's trying to figure out the human condition. And, and he's found out that's more gratifying to try and figure out right now than make his first billion dollars. That, it was, that I really enjoyed I learned a lot. Nice. That sounds like that is right up my alley. Yeah. Um, and so with, with all these, a lot of what we're talking about is perspective, right? And it's hard to keep certain perspectives in the forefront of your mind. Your morals are based on the information you've been given in your life through experiences and talking to people and whatever. And that all makes the foundation of your morals. You go to people from different countries and think cows are totally sacred and not here. Right. And so mm -hmm. we talked about growing and how that hurts. And I would say that morals or perspectives and shifting them within yourself dramatically is probably one of the hardest things to do in life. Can you recall a perspective that you had at one point in your life that shifted hard to the other direction? Yeah. Well, I don't think it was ever an instant, but when I, I watched, um, uh, politics and social things that have gone on in, in the U S in the last few years, I would have described myself, maybe at your age or a little younger, uh, I would have described myself as a small R righty. I was a right winger. As I've gotten older, I've, I've completely switched to a lefty. Okay. And that was a long process, a search to be comfortable with my morals and my... Um, decisions and how I viewed everything. Uh, I think I was looking for comfort and I ended up on the other side of the, uh, the field. So, yeah, that's um, not something that you hear people switch very often is that political side of right and left. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just, and I don't know how to describe that. I'd have to think that through all the way, but, um, it surprised me when it happened to me. So maybe I'll, I might have a way that we can kind of work together on describing that. But before we get into that, I am not well-versed in politics, nor do I want to be. And, nor should you be. Right. <laughs> but I specifically don't want to be, but I also want to discuss politics. 
and I want to kind of keep my perspectives as neutral as I can about it, uh, if that makes any sense, because I feel like sometimes mm -hmm. you'll just learn rules about things and you'll be like, oh, this is how it is. Whereas if I don't go through and learn those specific rules, I might end up in a position where someone explains something to me and I go, no, that doesn't make any sense because, you know, right. life and humans, duh. Uh, mm -hmm. But what, because I don't know crap, what the hell is right and left? <laughs> I don't think it it's that in itself has changed in the last 20 years what is right and what is left um we used to uh right is uh <clears throat> that's a great question that is an important question the uh it's all changed and when you then when you lay politics on top of it what's a democrat what's a republican what is a liberal what is a conservative yeah i don't know what's any of those an NDP all of that's shifting all the time because they're chasing the votes and and is there any then based on what you're saying is there any then fundamental characteristics that have held true to right and left for since well, they've existed i think i would uh be showing my advanced age if i try to describe that <laughs> i think that's a good question i'm not sure there is i think when i was struggling with it if you were a righty, it was uh, laissez-faire, it was uh, low taxes, small government. Uh, everybody else can pull their, themselves up by the bootstraps and and lefties were uh, uh, much more socially conscious. Um, they uh, preferred a social form of government as opposed to a, a straight democracy. Um, we used to understand the difference between capitalism and socialism, which, by the way, they're two different. One describes a monetary theory, one describes a, a social theory. Mm -hmm. And uh, but a lot of people don't spend a lot of time thinking that all the way through. Now, so I think going back to your original question, what is a lefty? What is a righty? Yeah, I'm not sure it's all black and white anymore. OK, so there's really I, not even a way to define the two. I could, my experience was that I'm much more socially conscious now than I, okay. when I was younger. I'm much more concerned about uh, uh, my community than I would have been in the past. And I'm more comfortable in feeling that way. Right. Whereas right wing is more economical than social. Yeah, it's uh, everything's black and white, or at least I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. Uh, that that gets kind of deep, Trev, and I'm not sure I, I'm qualified. So back to we touched on moral and opinion, and you were saying that you did this transition, right, left, mm -hmm. and you were saying that you weren't quite sure that it kind of happened like just a flip of a switch. Um, mm -hmm. So I have this, one of my concepts is this, what I call the egg game. So say you and I are discussing politics. You and I are discussing right and left. And I am right. And I'm like, you should return to the right side. And you're left and you're telling me why you're left. And we're going back and forth on all of our reasonings. We're essentially battling morals, right? We're taking our morals and colliding them together to see which one gives. So between us are holograms in the air. So they're just floating. And each time we
we a thought, we are colliding these eggs together, right? So I say something that is a thought, that is an opinion perspective that is trying to support me. And I'm trying to represent how tough my egg is and it smashes into your egg, right? And then you say something back and then they smash together again and how well we represent our side will determine the perceived toughness of the egg from the other person. Does that make sense so far? Well, I'm trying to keep up here. And I'm, I'm, I'm paddling pretty fast, but I'm, try, I'm trying to keep up. Yeah. Okay, so then we have it where if you get to a point where you say enough things that convince me, little chips might start to come off of it, right? And so when we think about morals in this way, then we can describe that thing that you were struggling to describe earlier, where you were saying, I don't really know how it happened, or I don't think it was a big switch, because it wasn't. Morals don't change with a flip of a switch, unless it's in like super traumatic situations, right? Where people are like, I mean, if there's life and death, yeah, yeah, someone's like, oh, rape's not that big of a deal. And then they get raped and it's like, mm, yeah, where'd your moral go on that? Right. Like that stuff can happen. But for the most part, morals will happen over time where you'll have discussions over time with a bunch of different people and experiences with a bunch of different people. And that will kind of chip away at your egg until you hit a catalyst where there's a moment or something that finally breaks your egg. It was just a small detail, right? And so that small detail added to the stack, the, the straw on the camel's back that caused your egg to finally give. And once your egg breaks, you then take on a new tougher egg that has characteristics of the information you've been given that have chipped away at your own. Does that sound about right to how that would have happened? Um, hmm. yeah, perhaps. Yeah, I can imagine that happening. Um, what I do currently in that kind of a situation is I, I try a little harder to understand the people I'm debating. Yes. Uh, because, um, you know, they're, sometimes their points aren't wrong at all. I just don't accept them. And, and so I try to learn from them a little bit. I don't know, Trevor, this is getting, uh, really zenny for me <laughs> it and so basically with this analogy the way it works is i can see my hologram of the battle happening and you can see yours but i can't see yours and you can't see mine right, right. i left that detail out and so then it's about communication and communication is 50 50 when you say things i receive them as what i perceive them as you can only decide halfway of what you're sending me right and so your egg can only be represented halfway with your effort and you saying that you try and listen to what other people have to say is you're one of the few people that are playing the egg game right. You're oh. going out and stay with me for a second here. Okay. You are looking to get your eggs broken to an extent. There's at least some eggs that you have that are representing morals in your life that you go, please break this, right? Well, unless you, unless you try to learn from the person you're debating, uh, all it becomes is a, who's the loudest person. That's all. Yes. Nothing, nothing to be learned there. 
Um, yeah, it's, so you have to, maybe, maybe the, the premise, the bottom premise is um, it's possible you're not right. It's yeah. possible yeah. that you have yet to figure this out. So um, you kind of got to go along assuming you're not right about everything, but having confidence. Yeah, you're comfortable. And then when my friends punch holes and, and what I'm talking about, I, I might not let on at the moment, but I go home and I think, hmm, maybe they're on to something. Yeah, they left a little bit of a stress fracture in that particular area. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And, it's a good thing we aren't smoking pot. Yeah. <laughs> this would get deep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, this this kind of ties into when you have, uh, I'm sure you've had it, where you tell try and tell something to your wife. And you, I mean, you said you've been married for 37 years. There has to have been times where she comes home and she goes, oh, hey, and delivers this perspective or new opinion to you. And you just go, I've been telling you that for years, right? Well, that happens the other way on. I believe that. That to me, and it's, it's multiple times a day. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's the. Yeah, that's 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 a whole different thing, but um, yeah, that's right. Sometimes you're more receptive to information. Yeah, because if you, you know, you're 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 just you're rested, you're comfortable, you're not carrying a bunch of luggage at the moment. And you're yeah. Other times it's hard because life gets complicated and you're not so open to all that. Anyway, so during your career, because communication is difficult during your whole experience with operating businesses, uh, buying fire trucks, whatever, doing everything. Is there anything that is a concept that you had heard frequently and it was being communicated in one way or another frequently, and it just took you a long time to really accept or catch on to that concept? Um, yeah, um, yeah, there's probably, I've been told many times that I'm, uh, too much of an amiable, amiable. Yeah. I'm too eager to please. Oh, good. Okay. And, uh, and I kind of accept that I am that way. Sometimes the price of being that way is something I'm quite prepared to pay and sometimes I feel like I've been taken advantage of mm-hmm. and I should have probably stood up a little harder or something like that right right so that's it yeah, that's my egg has been chipped away at long enough mm-hmm. yeah that's so. perfect so that was something you heard quite a lot and you kind of just fluffed it off as oh, I'm just a nice guy that's just who I am I'm uh, yeah so um that doesn't mean I'm in any hurry to be an asshole of course but um <laughs> But I, I have to accept the fact that sometimes I'm too eager to please. Mm-hmm. It's just my nature. Yeah, that's good. And then and adjusting that again, that's hard to do, right? Yeah. Um, when I, because I'm, I'm a personal trainer, so I instruct people on how to move their bodies, which I did not realize when I started with this, that it was going to be as difficult as it is. You haven't uh, tried me yet. Um, you got ashtrays? <laughs> no. <laughs> Which you shouldn't either. Cut that shit out. <laughs> anyway, there's over the years I have adapted many different 
phrases and words and figures of speech and analogies to try and make it more efficient. Can you recall any concept that you wished you had used so much earlier? Oh yeah, I can. Well, I've, I've I've had that happen both ways. What do we call that? That's when the coin drops, when the penny drops, it suddenly makes sense to you, and it didn't before. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I, I, when I'm talking to somebody, I'm not always good at this, but sometimes they're not getting it. Yep. It's, it's not their fault. It's because I'm not saying it in the right way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, of course. Yeah, I can. I see it all the time. The uh, sad part is some people just give up right there and they go on to something else and they don't give me a chance to learn or from them or, or about myself or something else. But yeah, well, yeah, that happens all the time, mm -hmm. all the time. So it's funny you say that you, you say that people don't give you the chance because they want to just move on and you, you saw an opportunity to better your communication or better yourself as a person or understand them more or something. And you wanted mm -hmm. to work on that. How, because it really comes down to, at least I believe, social things, right? Where it's socially awkward to say, hey, hang on, can we not leave this part of the conversation? I, I kind of wanted to work through that topic, right? Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of what that, that's kind of talking about talking, right? Where you're addressing mm -hmm. the conversation itself. And have, do you see value in that, in discussing how you're feeling or your intentions about the conversation, the way it's going, the way it's developing, et cetera. Oh, absolutely. But you know, that's a, you've spent an hour now getting me to a place where I'm not feeling as defensive. <laughs> Who, nobody gives you that kind of time these days. Yeah. Um, you have to be a, has to be one of those quiet moments and you have to be mindful that when it, ex, when it presents itself, a lot of things have to go right to do that. Yes, for sure. Uh, at least it does for me because I'm, although I'm a good learner, I am not a fast learner. It takes me a little longer to figure stuff out than others. And um, uh, yeah, absolutely. That is but, such an excellent point for people that might be listening that you say that you are a good learner, but not a fast learner. So valuable because I mean, it's, it's safe to say that you've had a certain amount of success in your life, right? That Well, I've never been convicted. Yeah, of course. My fiance is, she has a certain amount of dyslexia and like, so numbers and words and stuff and like pronouncing mm -hmm. and spelling is difficult in different ways. And she does so, so well with it. She's it's so hard to even notice most days. Uh, she, thinks, she thinks the problem is way bigger than it actually is. And she is quite often concerned about her rate of learning, that she does not read or learn quickly. The rate of learning you could probably improve, right, through practice, but uh, intent of learning, right? Your intention mm -hmm. to learn to understand and learn to comprehend and crystallize and all those sort of things. I feel like that is something that is very controllable. Would you agree or disagree with that? Um, yeah, I think it's very controllable. I think you can, we all, I have yet to meet a person who dislikes learning. They dislike learning certain topics. Calculus was not 
I had to learn it. I didn't want to learn it. Mm -hmm. um, but if you ask me about the combustion chamber of a Model T Ford, oh, I've seen, I've read pages and, and stared at the ceiling. It's that like that old joke. My, I lay in bed with my wife and she thinks I'm thinking about another woman. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out why those valves don't hit the piston off. <laughs> You know, so I think most people, there are things that we love to learn and we'll take the time to do that. And it's, it's more gratifying when you learn it than just pick it up that quickly. Mm -hmm. um, I would never know what it's like to pick something up quickly, that, but I sure like to learn. Yeah, that's good. I like that too, that uh, things that you have to sink effort and time into give more value to your life. You're, you're saying how if you have to work to learn something, it means a lot more to you, right? Well, calculus accepted. Forced to learn it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think um, I'm always in awe of people who learn quickly. Uh, I wish I were one of them. I'm not. Um, but it's just actually accomplishing that learning is, uh, I find um, gratifying. I can do it. And I have often said that to people because they'll grasp a concept uh, before I do. Mm -hmm. and I've often had to say, I just have to digest this for a minute. Yeah, it's going to take me a little longer. Yeah. yeah. So I think the, the overall takeaway is that you should not worry about your rate of learning or if you learn quickly, you should just totally focus on learning and understanding and comprehending. Well, I sympathize with your uh, fiance's frustration with not uh, uh, learning as fast as she likes, because that in itself will get in the way of everything you get. Frustration for me can be, uh, that's counterproductive. And if it, it, it all happens, far too easily but um you get to be an old fart like me you learn that uh, um you don't have to know it all right now yeah for sure and you can always keep learning there's no real end to any of it there's an analogy that is used for representing consciousness that in your head you have this like theater and there's a little man watching the theater that that's that's your consciousness I know there's a lot of people that will take sticky notes and put a sticky note on the side of their monitor that they work on so that they remember that reminds them to respond to all emails after you read them or something like that, right? Those kind of things. If you could write something on a sticky note that could go on the monitor of consciousness to be a reminder that's there at all times that people could just glance over and look at, and it just drops into everyone's consciousness instantaneously. What would you write on that sticky note? Gee, can I only get one sticky note? One sticky note. Um, you don't want to write too small. Yeah. Think. Think, Think. before you say anything. Good. That's a reminder that I need. Um, yeah, what? When I'm talking to somebody, sometimes I'm looking for an outcome and sometimes I'm not. Um, but sometimes I don't, I don't think, uh, things through as well as I, I'd like to. It's fair. Good. That yeah. two bucks will get you a cup of coffee, Nethery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people could use that. 
Okay, we'll we'll kind of wrap it up here. And to wrap things up, if you could step into my shoes for this interview, what would you have asked yourself that I did not? Gosh. Um, well, let me put it another way. Okay. Um, it baffles me. Maybe this is the part of a long series of um, podcasts, um, but I, I don't see what value I can bring to it. I don't know that I'm... <clears throat> I I hope it's been some some value to what you're trying to accomplish. Oh, 100%, for sure, yeah. I don't feel like it has, but... Um, um, no, you see, and I understand where you're going with that. You feel like you're not... Because I'm, I'm trying to have conversations about, like, philosophical, complicated, social, psychological, conversational things, and you're like... Dude, I'm not a professor. Like, what do you? Yeah, I don't feel qualified. Right, right. And and I get I get what you're saying, but know that that's not the case. And what I mean by that is that the entire purpose is going to need to be at the end of the day developed and built by every kind of person, right? And if I spend my time having conversations with psychology and philosophy professors and linguists and writers and politicians, people that are just specifically communication social experts, then I'm only going to have a creation based around those kinds of people. I'm not going to have something that is developed by everyone. Right. I get it and accept it. You're starting with the lower mental function. No, no. You'll, you'll work your way up. No. <laughs> Don't be bending my words, Wes. Don't be doing that <laughs> shit, man. No, the point is that you are giving, like, think, think before you speak. That's if someone kind of gets that from this and then later on they get that from another one and then they get that from another one and, right, and they hear that from someone else in their life. It's about ideas that like that that little egg it's got to be chipped away right and every person's opinion every person's perspective has value so you certainly did not disappoint today i very much enjoyed the conversation um is there any advice that you would give me for moving forward with my communication the way we're doing this anything like that oh i think you've been very gracious you've allowed me to uh, you've allowed me to flesh out my ideas and I'm grateful for that. I didn't feel threatened. I think you, uh, uh, I just don't, I just, I, 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 I hope I didn't disappoint you. No, I think you're, you're a great interviewer. It was, you're right. It was a lot of this stuff was out there a bit for me. Mm-hmm. When you want to talk about model, model T cylinder heads. Okay. Model T cylinder I'm your heads. Boy. <laughs> All right. Good to know. Um, yeah. So no, I, I I'm I'm comfortable that uh, you you didn't let me step all over my uh, feet. Yeah, thank you, Wes, for your time. Trevor and listeners, I am so grateful for your patience putting up with my mumbling, <laughs> and I uh, uh, I wish you all the best for this. Thank you. Awesome. Is there anywhere that the listener could find you or interact with you? Any socials or anything like that that you want to share? Or are you good on that? No, I'm not. Uh, 
I'm an old fart. I don't do social socials because, um, uh, well, I just, I don't, I don't see the value in it. The younger people do. Sure. So I apologize. I'm, I think I have a, a web, uh, a Facebook account and a Instagram and something else. I don't use them. Okay. I, I just, uh, uh, and I, that, that's another long conversation. But. Yeah. Perfect. No problem. Well, thank you so much for your time, Wes. We will end this here. I am deeply grateful to you for listening to this podcast. Your support means the world to me, and I am committed to continuing to create content that resonates with you. If you would like to help me turn this into a full-time endeavor, I would greatly appreciate it if you could share this podcast with your friends and connect with me on Instagram at Talking About Talking Podcast, Twitter at Talking the Letter A Talking, and YouTube Talking About Talking. Your engagement and support will help make my dream a reality.